Hello, Carson Stooley. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Friday appearance as the lead prospect analyst, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Kylie McDaniel, who follows as a markedly pleasant conversation with Kylie McDaniel, concerning in large part his Houston Astros top prospect list of Thursday of this week, but also concerning a number of other idiot questions for which my own uh, brain is responsible. As I say, there is a conversation with Kyla McDaniel that follows before that, as has become standard uh, on, for Kyla McDaniel's appearances on Fangraphs Audio. McDaniel has provided a musical interlude that will follow. A musical interlude, this one is peculiar in that it includes not only some manner of dance hit, uh, but also select audio clips of managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. So there will be a musical interlude featuring dance music, on top of which are samples of Dave Cameron's voice, and then there will be a conversation with Kyla McDaniel. Thank you. This is the longest question about the longest playoff game. Yeah. Uh, this year I will do a better job of double-checking your work and not assuming that you are competent. And then the Mariners are like, well, we're going to kidnap you. Uh, you know, maybe getting arrested. You made a noise there, and I think that wasn't a good sign. No, there's like a, uh, you got like an air conditioner or like a train in the room? Yeah, I've decided to flip the script. I'm, Whoa, flip uh, the script. I'm, turn, I'm turning the game on its head. I got a game changer here. I'm doing it on the back porch. And my neighbor has their, uh, their air conditioner on. Although I've turned mine off, so it won't be that bad. Is this acceptable, uh, level of noise? Hey, there's a hum. I don't know. We'll see. I guess we can see how people feel about it. There's a slight hum. Wait, there, wait, there, what is, they have like, they have an external? Yeah, it just turned off. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's better now. Yeah, so it might come on again. Okay. I'm here to ruin the listening experience for as many people as possible. Well, you, uh, I think you nailed that without any ambient noise. How about my voice? Yeah, Done. <laughs> Done. Done. You're on the back porch. I've seen a picture of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly trying to creep America out by giving them <laughs> too much information about, yeah. about my setup. Yeah. That's like, wait, is this, a, is this just a home that you own as a man? It is a, uh, I believe townhome is the phrase. Okay. Uh, that I rent as a young adult, I, I suppose. Yeah, okay. Wow. Now, do you have to, uh, I assume, are you within walking distance of any commerce or do you have to drive everywhere? No, I'm, uh, for instance, my, uh, my grocery store, my Chipotle, all of those are, I don't know, a tenth of a mile. Not very far. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Not so bad. Is it like a downtown area or is it more of like a... It's a sort of suburban strip mall kind of deal. Okay. Right. People are probably just <laughs> really loving this part. Yeah, this is yeah, this is good stuff. This is a this is good stuff. By the way, I have uh, I can try to uh, you know uh, fold it into what we're doing, uh, but I did have a couple stories that came to mind this week that I thought might be good for the podcast, so I wrote them down as notes. Oh well, well yeah, introduce absolutely introduce that. I also want to say that you were first your your um your Astros piece is not up yet. Yeah, I should I should say I had uh, one call today to uh, that I was waiting on, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah, and then it turned out that it was late enough in the day that uh, it didn't make sense. Yeah, so I'm over three thousand words right now. I'm still sort of polishing some stuff and moving some stuff around. So it's technically not even done now, uh, but that was more as a function of me knowing I had the rest of the day anyway. I will ask you this question because uh, I'm actually just looking at what you have for a draft. In particular, I'm looking at the Others of Note section, and I believe it's like it's possibly twice as long as, as you've produced for any other team. Is that, a, is that a function of the Astros being a, a, a deeper, having a deeper system? Yeah, I was thinking that when I wrote it uh, because I have, you know, I have the same, I don't know, same depth or whatever of names uh, as I did with some other teams. Uh, there, I'd say a little above average as far as depth goes, and above average as far as the top end talent goes. Uh, I think I just uh, was a little wordier, whereas I think in past lists I would do here's five guys that are all double A AA or triple A that are you know kind of okay, and put them all in the same sentence, 
And then this time, I think I just gave each guy their own sentence. So I think it might just be a, I was in a more charitable style. Whereas, like, for actually for this one, I did the others of note first, and then slowly worked my way up. Oh yeah, so you weren't you weren't uh, tired and sick of everything by the time <laughs> yeah. you got to it. Yeah, I look at guys that if things go perfectly could be a backup, but are probably you know maybe never get to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. I yeah, you see that guy and you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, look at him like a parent, like oh, there's some good things here. I could write a full sentence about this. And then at the end, you're just sort of like, yeah, yeah, here's seven guys. They all kind of suck, and I give, like, you know, three words on each. So, yeah, maybe I think I think I mentioned the same amount of guys as I did for the Twins and maybe for the Diamondbacks. But, yeah, it worked out to, what, six paragraphs when it when it maybe only needed to be two or three? Uh, Lee, uh, I think it's Leo Tolstoy. I don't know if it's Leo Tolstoy. I, I think it's Leo Tolstoy who says something to the effect of uh, all, uh, all happy families are the same, all unhappy families – are unhappy in a different way, something to, something along those lines. Do you think it's – do you think that – I'm trying to make a it, – it's somewhat parallel in my head, but the fact that maybe all top prospects, prospects are – top prospects are more similar and then – and then but like fringy prospects, they're all – they're all – you. they're – the way the way in which they are good, if they are good, is is – is all is there's more variety perhaps? Uh, yeah, and I, another part of this I think is also I sometimes look at the forty forty five future value guys and the other guys as I'll I'll tell you sixty percent of what you need to know and you can sort of infer the rest. Whereas I think with this list I'm sort of explaining it all. Right. Uh, but yeah, like for instance in the in the the last ranked group there are three utility guys that are five six to five eight. <laughs> In the in the Astros list, and they're all uh, I believe, yeah, they're all double A AA or triple A. Mm-hmm. So it's like ready made at best forty fives. You call them forties to sort of hedge uh, tiny dudes that play second base and will probably play other positions. But I feel like to explain that guy, you're you're like, okay, I, I think I know who that is. But if I say, you know, six. Six four Dominican right fielder, everything's above average crazy athlete. I think you can immediately understand that. Right. When I say five six second baseman utility guy, you're like, okay, I think I get that, but that guy usually isn't on a list. So you have to tell me something about why that guy's on a list. Right. What is the what is the quality that allows it, that allows him to do that? Uh, for two of them, it's bad control. I'm not actually asking you. One I'm just saying that's what you're trying to explain. Well, I'm telling you, for two of the guys, it's okay. bad control, and for one of them, it's speed. Those are, those are the sort of the carrying tool, as they call it. Right, the carrying tool. Yes, which sounds like a, like a like a YA novel, right? The carrying tool. Yeah. Wait, what are you? Wait, no, the the mending. Are you thinking of the mending tree? Or the, yeah, the, is it the learning tree? Or I don't know. It feels like that's sort of the uh, mending stump. Is it a mend? What is a mending? The money store? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the money store. Hey, I'm Phil Rizzuto. I'm going to get you the best deal. Yeah, I imagine carrying tool, the cover would just be me carrying stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, you got your, you got your tool. And you're carrying. Oh, it's, uh, you're showing so much self-awareness now, Kylie. It's great. It was always there. I was just scared. You know, I was in my shell. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're getting out of it. We can, we can cut through all that. The, uh, uh, I, I would, well, here's a, here's an illustration of that, and it's from my limited body of knowledge, but it seems to apply. I remember one time seeing Michael I've, Bl- I've met you before, your body is not limited. No. <laughs> he, I, um, I saw Michael Blazek. Michael Blazek? Michael Blazek? I have Blazek? no idea who you're talking about. Michael Blazek, I think he was, he will, I don't, I think that's how you say his name. He was definitely a, a member of the Cardinal system, and then, I guess he pitched with the in the Brewers minor leagues this year uh, for a little bit. I don't know precisely where he is right now. Yes, he was in Triple A for the Brewers. Yeah. This year. Uh, so what's the thing is like I saw Michael Blazek pitch at uh, the facility in Jupiter, Florida, and my impression of him was, well, it was this: is that he would be he was really good at getting out high, uh, guys in the high minors. Because he didn't have particularly good velocity as a starter. It was like maybe he barely touched 90. Um, but he had just like this assortment of pitches where he could confuse them all and he was really good um, on that, at, to, the, to that end. And then – and it's true because um, even when he came back and tried to start, I think, like that same year, he was only, he was only okay. But I thought – 
and then he and then he pitched. He actually pitched out of the Cardinals bullpen. He was throwing 95 somehow, which I guess happens. That's a lot of miles per hour to add, even with a switch from starting to relief. But I was thinking there are some guys who are really good at getting out minor league batters. Uh, I don't know how many of them there are who are good at doing that and not getting out major leaguers. But that's a I don't know. There's something about that 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 is compelling to me. Because it, typically we, you think about prospects always with regard to their, you know, their possible performance to major leagues. And I guess certainly major league teams, that's what they care about. And fans of those teams, that's what they care about. But there's something to be said for just being good enough to get out almost all the best, almost all the best players, except for, uh, you know, the percent that would be playing at the level above you. Yeah, and that's uh, actually something that came up a lot with the Astros, and I I think that's a function of their, uh, you know, their aim seems to be, oh, our, our edge is, you know, we have, you know, better a- analytics and so we'll probably, if we're gonna, if we're gonna get a guy like in a trade or on a waiver claim, it's probably gonna be a performance type guy. Mm-hmm. They had an unusual amount of guys that would come up either from their executives and scouts or from other scouts where they're like, well, I saw the double A team, these three guys are good, and then here's like four dudes that were in the bullpen or at the back of the rotation that are, it's like three fringy pitches, not a pretty delivery. His numbers are really good. I don't really know. Like most teams, you'll get a couple of those guys, maybe up to five mentioned. I feel like with them, I had like 12 of them mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like there's – and there's specific things, uh, like like I mentioned in a couple podcasts ago with the with the pop rate and, you know, throwing the, uh, the fastball up in the zone – uh, right after that, I saw a Bloomberg article about the Astros that specifically mentioned it was unusual that Colin McHugh broke out after the Astros saw he had high spin rates on his curveball that he didn't throw enough because he was brought up as a sinker slider guy. They told him to throw his curveball and then throw a four-seamer up in the zone. And I was like, oh, they, yeah. I mean, you would figure, given that I knew some statistically forward organizations knew about this, uh, that the Astros would know about it. But it was interesting to see that it was also like a proactive player development stance also. And they may be seeing either indicators or performance things for guys like that in the minors. And there may be 20 other teams, maybe 25 other teams that aren't even paying attention to that sort of stuff, especially at that level. Uh, whereas there may be some that pay attention to it for sort of waiver claims and big league guys as a performance thing. I don't think many are looking at the indicators to maybe turn that guy into one of those performance guys. Well, it's interesting, right? That, that's the situation, and in, in PitchFX uh, produces a, um, a lot of these situations where you have a curious intersection between um, analytics, or, you know, what might be considered, you know, advanced metrics, and then uh, and then scouting sort of information, right? Because it's it's objectively acquired scouting information, essentially. Yes, and can sometimes be predictive as opposed to prescriptive, I suppose. Right, right, right. and or de- predictive or, descri- or both, descriptive, yeah. de- descriptive, descriptive. Yeah, it, it tells you what happened, but sometimes can tell you what's going to happen better than a scout could, but right. not often. Well, it's always it, that. This is a great mystery to me as someone who in enjoys minor league baseball. What, women? Mm, well, I mean, yeah. The but also jokes are flowing today. <laughs> but also men, too. I think they're all... Well, uh, yeah, fair, uh, fair. Most humans, uh, it's hard to penetrate. Uh, with the, Carbon-based life forms? Yeah, they're all difficult for me. <clears throat> the, uh... Um, uh what'd you, uh, look what you did. Oh, yeah. No, where you say, where, that prospect, right, the, the idea of of um, a team acquiring a player based off of uh, having identified something that they could potentially fix with a player and it actually working. And there's a mystery to how they identify that and there's a mystery to what they do to correct the problem. But not that Colin McHugh was broken, but he was elite for a lot of the season. I don't don't necessarily know what his final numbers were, but I know for a while uh, he was quite excellent. And it does seem as though, as you note, that a lot of that had to do with the uh, Astros identifying the excellent spin rates on his curveball and the fact that that would be a pitch that with which he would have success if he threw it more often. Yeah, I just pulled up his numbers. He had a 311 FIP and XFIP, so in 154 innings, so that uh, that'll play for a. I mean, for basically a free pitcher, that's uh, 
that's uh, that's amazing, right? You've just you've just yeah. manufactured money for your team basically by doing that. Oh, yeah, well over uh, three war, so yeah. <laughs> that's uh, what would. That performance, if you knew it was coming, would cost what almost twenty million on the open market. Right. So does that? So the analyst or group of analysts that unearthed all that information, we can assume they'll be getting what, like a ten million dollar bonus. Is that is that about that's right? That's how it works. Yep. That's, <laughs> they also get a playoff share if the team makes the playoffs, and they get part of Collins' contract. That yeah. is the equitable way in which this works. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's very fair. It's not at all that you make thirty five to forty five thousand <laughs> and never get a bonus based on anything they do ever. And then the rich white guy that owns the team just rakes in the cash. That's not what happens. That's not how it happens. Nope. Uh, not in baseball and not in other organizations. No, either. that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, the, yeah, those Astros. Now, I think I, I, don't, it's, I don't think it will hurt for us to talk about the Astros for a second. Oh, but I want to bring this up first. The, this point we were just discussing with regard to pitch effects, you noted the point about spin rates having been identified from pitch effects or, uh, or maybe if it was a track man. I don't know if track man – uh, measures spin rate? Uh, more accurately. I believe the pitch FX one is more inferred, whereas Trekman is measured. Measured. So, it, it, uh, in either case, uh, what we're doing is we're taking this subjectively acquired data and we're turning into information that might directly inform, uh, or, uh, that might directly inform an acquisition of a player. You, you were bringing up a point, I think it was earlier this week, maybe it was the end of last week, with re- uh, regard to another, um, edition six. Uh, edition six in your mysterious hit tool posts. I hope it's over. I don't want to go more than six. The, I would, <laughs> God. the uh, it's I I don't know. If, has it matched Police Academy yet in terms of sequels? Citizens on Patrol is coming next. <laughs> well, when was Miami? When when was that one? I think that was four, and I want to say Russia was five. Okay. Um, and how long did Steve Gutenberg stick around for those? Oh, the Goose was there to the bitter end. I think was it? Yeah. Okay. But uh, and, and what about Tackle Bear? A lot of these, for a lot of these people, it was the only thing they had in acting. I'm so glad we're staying on topic. Well, but I will say that f- for a movie that produced so many sequels, they, they actually they were of some. They you know they didn't get worse really. Is they? I mean, they were sillier maybe, but they were fine. They were all police academy movies. Sorry, I just checked his IMDb. Gutenberg just did one through four. Oh, he did. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, now we know that. He got out before the, before they sold out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the you 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 talk about this idea of bat speed as one of the inputs for the hit tool. Um, one of the you know one of the uh, several inputs for the thing we call the hit tool, and you invoke or maybe it was invoked for you on behalf or on your behalf by the readers. This idea of, of of wondering if it's possible to measure the hit tool objectively or the, the bat speed objectively, and I think you say like, well, sort of. That's that's the that's the end. That's the answer. Yeah, it was interesting because I I think I had said before that I knew writing about this stuff in great detail. One hadn't really been done before. People will have sort of primers on what the scouting seal means, but you know nobody wrote five thousand words about how to scout a hitter before. Uh, so some of it just didn't exist, but the other part is that on Fangraphs you have a certain kind of audience, uh, primarily, and I would be, I was interested to see how they would respond to this sort of content and what kind of questions they would ask. And I didn't expect them to gravitate to bat speed, particularly because that's not one of the tools, it doesn't necessarily map to a, you know, something that is an input to war, like, I thought that they would be more like, oh, arm strength, uh, you know, can be the arm grade in UZR. You know, what are the other things that go into it? Like something that's like more directly can impact a number that people look at. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, bat speed is a thing that most teams don't even have their scouts grade. It's just a thing that you notice in addition to, you know, like I said before, bat control and a couple other things as sort of the things that you look at to come up with a hit tool. Um and so, obviously, uh, with, with TrackMan and PitchFX, uh, and some other lesser known products, I guess the, the fans reading the articles are like, oh, well, you can stick something on their bat and see how fast the bat was moving, or you can use exit velocity, um, of the ball using, you know, TrackMan and things like that, mm-hmm. or you could just measure with a radar gun how fast their bat moves, or, you know, maximum launch angle or distance or whatever, and sort of tease this out. So why don't we just do that? That would make it easier. If this is so mysterious, then wouldn't that make it less mysterious by having an objective input? 
And I was like, no, it's like, I think I compared it to running the 40 in football, where uh, you can say this guy's a 4.5 speed guy, and if you thought he was a 4.7 speed guy, but he actually runs a 4.5, then you're like, okay, so he's a little faster than we thought, maybe he's a little better than we suspected, but if you thought he was a 4.7 because you've been watching him play in football games with pads on and people trying to tackle him and stuff, and he looks like a 4.7 guy, it probably plays like 4.7, so like it doesn't necessarily tell you anything. Uh, and there's plenty of like Hall of Famers that, you know, Jerry Rice and Chris Carter, that speed isn't really a part of their game. It's they do everything else so well, and they're just fast enough for it to matter. And I feel like bat speed is like that. I remember I've talked to multiple scouts about catcher defense, and they say catcher defense is sort of, when you, you take out your Yachty or Molinas, from almost every player, it's more of a uh, like a threshold. Like once you're fringy, you're good enough to put back there that they're not going to steal on you every time. Just once you're above that level, it's fine, and then it's just like a sliding scale between do you want more offense or more defense. Uh, and I feel like bat speed is the same way. Once you get to fringier average, good enough to sort of hit most fastballs, then it's just a sliding scale of is it really good or really bad? Do you have really good play discipline, really bad play? You're just sort of you know moving all those sliders around. Right. And it does it, seem as though there's an advantage, and and this is uh, you, you discussed this with regard to Yosemani Thomas, the uh, Cuban free agent. There's an advantage to uh, the, the, essentially the ratio between load and bat speed. If a yeah. player if a player can produce considerable bat speed from um, a from a pretty mild load, that that's notable uh, because he probably um, if he's not selling out for power, then he's going to be able to re- retain some manner of bat control. And he's probably going to make more contact than other guys who produce technically the same bat speed. Yeah, and that's uh, I think that's all one of those things where you know when I was first starting to read scouting reports, I would see you know in Baseball America or I guess that was the only the only real place to see it when I was growing up was like oh this guy's you know a seventy raw power and can hit three hundred and you know this guy's a fifty raw power can hit two fifty and I didn't really know why one was one of those things and one was the other, because we all know the sort of sayings that the difference between a 250 and 270 hitter is like, you know, a, a you know a Texas leaguer per week or, or whatever it is. Right. And so it seems like a very negligible amount of difference to sort of see these things, but what it amounts to is just, you know, like I said, the four or five inputs in, into, into the hit tool. If they're all 55s, then you call it a 55, and then you look at the stats, and a 55 meaning a slightly above average is 270, so it means 270. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I feel like do, I've do said think, everything said. Do you think this relationship between, uh, between load and bat speed is something you can, you could potentially reverse engineer from the numbers? For example, I'm thinking of Edwin Encarnacion, who is his, who is a notable player insofar as uh, he's produced pretty excellent home run totals in recent years while also not striking out. And so to me, I would think if there's going to be a certain player, if I was, if I was trying to identify a way by which to, uh, uh, to, 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 to identify isolate players most likely have uh, excellent bat speed relative to their load, I would say, oh, it's probably this type who hit a bunch of home runs, but also uh, don't don't whiff a lot. Is is that is that uh, like a is that a fair entry? Is that a, you think it's a fair a fair thought? Yeah, it was one of the things I, I mentioned in the comments of one of those uh, hit to articles where people were saying, like, oh, well, you know, how do we know who has such you know bat speed? And I was like, there's not really a scale for it. Like I said, scouts don't really like put it on the report as, oh, it's a 55, and everyone, like, you know, puts it in the system and, you know, does math off of it all. Like, that's not really how it works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like I was saying in the article, like, it's sort of buckets. Like, this is good, this is really good, this is not that good. And basically no one that's a, a, a hitter of consequence, maybe they play shortstop, which makes them good, but has below 50 bat speed. And you say, oh, well, if it's major league average, then how can there, well, well, half the league is, you know, backups and up and down guys and stuff. That's the, the, that's the crappy guys that have below average bat speed or the shortstop that's a, you know, 70 defender. Um, but yeah, it, it's what, what I was getting at was, uh, somebody was saying, can you give me an example of a guy that would be, you know, a 60 bat speed? And I was like, well, I can't, uh, 
you know, I can't say it about everybody off the top of my head, but if you look at like Alex Rios or Starling Marte or guys like that that are uh, manageable strikeouts, not a lot of walks, uh, you know that they're you know decently fast from their from their stolen bases. They hit some home runs. They hit like 270 or 280. Uh, that guy has to have plus bat speed. If you're not drawing walks, then they're going to throw you a bunch of crappy pitches out of the zone, a bunch of off-speed pitches. But if you're hitting home runs and stealing bases, and you're like taller than five eight, then you're probably the one of these sort of quick twitch guys. Right. And I remember one one of the teams I worked for, we had sort of our org meetings in the fall, and it was sort of preparing for the free agent class and all that. And one of the things we did to break up all the meetings about players was one of our coordinators came in and did this sort of tutorial. Uh, of how to look at the roster before you see a team and basically narrow every player down to he's either a 45 or 50 OFP before you even watch him play using all these sort of tricks like where was he drafted, how much money did he get, has he been ranked in publications, height and weight, age relative to level, his statistics. Like you can, even guys in like short season and low A where you don't have quite as much information as you'd have for a big leaguer, you can narrow it down pretty easily. Not to say that you should and then not deviate from those two pre-guessed things, but you can make it a lot easier for yourself, kind of focusing on the players you should be focusing on. Oh, that's it. Wait, can I, can I interrupt you for there? So if you would do that, and you, you, know, you show up to a game, you get a roster sheet or whatever, you do that, and then are you basically looking, are you looking to be contradicted, essentially? Is that like when you sit down and watch the game, you say, you watch it and you say, uh, and you see a certain guy, maybe he does something that does not fit that profile, whether it's uh, positive or negative, and then that's that's the sort of notation you would make? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's like, a, I guess it depends on who you talk to, uh, scouts-wise. If you want to go into a game knowing as much as possible or go into it knowing nothing at all, I guess there's arguments to be made either way. I prefer to be prepared, especially because the way I'm doing it now, uh, I don't always get five or six games to see everybody, so it's much easier for me to have the four or five guys on the field picked out for me already that I know to focus on, and then I'm open to be surprised by other people or to be disappointed by the guy I was told to pay attention to. Uh, but if I'm getting a game or two, uh, it's much easier for me to sort of know who to look out for. And obviously doing what I do, I'm probably going to know before I got there without people telling me the guys to look out for. If this guy got drafted high or, you know, heard so-and-so through hard or whatever. Um, yeah, all, all that to say to sort of answer your question on Encarnacion, you can do that with almost every player. Like at, at some point we're going to, once I get through all of the minor league uh, system rankings, uh, we're going to do it for big leaguers, too. And some of these guys, you know, haven't had a, a, a formal report written about them on the Internet for, you know, six, seven years, if that's, you know, when they were last in a system and sort of were covered by the prospect people. But you can, you know, look at their stats and probably guess what most of these tools are and see that he's hit 20 home runs for three straight years and be like, that's probably 60 raw power. I'm not positive. I'll, I'll probably, you know, accumulate 10 or 20 players and then call a scout that saw that team and run through them real quick and make sure I'm right. But I could probably just guess and be right like 80% of the time with big leaguers on all of their tools, uh, which I, I think there's a little bit of a mystique, like I said, when I was doing this for for Fangraphs, like putting the tool on the player page, like the final answer. People haven't really done that very much in the past because I think there's some mystique to this is the right one, or it used to be this, or it's around this. But people don't really announce this is the one. It It's not that hard. I mean, I know when I've worked for teams, we have a, two scouts watching the same game watching, you know, the exact same thing and come up with different tools. Like, it's not, like, it doesn't, it doesn't get brought down from the mountain from the Oracle. Like, there's different ways to do it. So you're breaking, breaking, there's no baseball Oracle. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to be, but I think I'm, I'm I don't I haven't read the prereqs yet. So, you know, i got to go to Advanced Oracle 301 first. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's all very helpful, and uh, I hope we can – well, let's – all right, before we move on, because I think you're going to be doing another list between now and the next time we speak. Yeah, I, I said on last week's podcast that we would use this time to evaluate how quickly I can do lists. So the Astros list is basically ready. It'll go up tomorrow. The Cubs and Red Sox lists are both uh, completed. All the information has been gathered. I'll probably talk to a couple more people over the weekend to sort of finalize some stuff, but mm-hmm. my aim is to have – uh, one of them up on Monday and the next on Wednesday. So judging from last week's, I need to get these next three lists done in like 10 days ultimatum. Uh, I think I'll get them done in like 12 or 13 days, but these are also three of maybe the deepest lists in baseball. Right. Uh, and I also had a weekend in there where I'll, otherwise I might have done it in 10 days. Can I, can I say, uh, so can I ask you something? The, um, 
the what the fourth? I think the player that's ranked fourth on your Astros list is Colin Moran. Yes. Uh, I haven't finished his comment yet, but it's going to be very long because there is a lot of disagreement about okay, it. Okay, so so the Astros. I think it's fair to say that they have an above-average system. Is that fair? Yes. And in an above-average system, Colin Moran is the fourth uh, the fourth-ranked prospect. Yes. And he was also acquired in a trade from the Marlins. Yes. And, uh, and there's more to say about Colin Moran because also there were questions when he was drafted if he was worth his draft spot. He was drafted sixth overall. Um, so are you – that four number four ranking, is that you being more optimistic about Moran than other people? And also I will also say – respond to this, please – when the Marlins do anything, it's suspicious, or especially if they're trading with the Astros, who generally, especially as a baseball nerd, I'm trained to be, I'm trained to, um, like accept their moves. Generally speaking, so I'm thinking that some, that this is this is rich territory right here. Yes, I should point out the first three guys on the list, uh, which will be out by the time people are hearing this, is uh, Curry, Appel, and Velasquez, who I graded as a 65, 60, and 60. Uh, future values, mm-hmm. and then Moran heads a group of five straight guys that are all 50s. So, calling him fourth in a, an above-average system is correct, but maybe a little misleading, where he could just just as easily be eighth. Okay, all right, um, yeah, all right, yeah. And some of the disagreement about him comes from the fact that the Astros were uh, here. Put your put your uh, your pointer finger and your thumb as close together as you can without them touching. Yeah, they were that close to taking him number one overall. Like, there were legitimate conversations. There were rumors at the time that it was uh, sort of a show to try to talk Appel down. They were actually talking to uh, to Moran and talking numbers. Uh, well below slot numbers, but numbers. Um, so I remember I talked to a pro scout uh, that covered the Florida State League, which is where Moran started this year at Jupiter uh, for uh, the Marlins. And he said, hey, have you seen this Moran guy? And I go, yeah, I saw him I saw him in college. He goes, where did he go in the draft? Sixth overall. And he goes, this guy doesn't look anything like a first-rounder to me. Like, I don't understand this at all. I'm like, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> you'd be surprised he almost went number one overall. He's like, what in the world am I missing here? So the short version of the report is he's like 6'4", 205, lanky, left-hand hitter, right-hand thrower, third baseman. A little awkward at times at third, not a ton of range, but and not a huge arm, but enough in, on both counts to stay at third base. It's in BP where he doesn't really let it loose. It looks like 45 raw power, but when you see him you know, kind of lean into it, it's more of a 50, and since he's projectable, you could see it being as much as a 55. I think I put a solid average on the future raw power, but he does not... Uh, does not try to tap into it in games. Uh, he, he's content to sort of slap the ball the other way, and he's an advanced lefty bat with uh, probably above average bat speed, very good feel for the strike zone. He was young for his class, put up, I think he had like twice as many walks as strikeouts in his junior year, uh, and was like sort of a late developing big guy, young for his class from up north, which like checks all the boxes for untapped potential, which is stuff that the, everyone knows the Astros look at. So everyone understood why they were into him and understood that he was a probably top ten pick, but there were no plus tools, maybe his bat, uh, but everything else was average or worse, basically. Um, so you can see why that guy, if you watch him, and he's just slapping the ball the other way and not making a ton of contact in the games you see, that he could seem very unimpressive. But you could also see why he's sort of a sneaky good player that you kind of have to know all the peripheral information to sort of fully appreciate. Um so the Astros people uh, were actually pleased to see that I had him fourth, saying, you know, we know he gets ranked kind of high because he went high, but we, you know, think he doesn't get enough respect in the industry. And I was like, oh, believe me, he definitely doesn't get respect in the industry <laughs> because all the other teams I talk to and their scouts do not like him. And one guy said he wrote him up as a bench player, maybe an up-down player, which on my scale would be a 40, which would put him like 20th in the system. And every other guy I talked to said, basically, I put him as a 50. They said, yeah, 50, maybe 45. So they were saying if I said he could be as low as 8th for me, they're saying he could be 15th for me, or for them. Um, and 
the, what this comes back to is Moran, his uncle is BJ Surhoff. Uh, there's obviously good bloodlines, but also what usually comes with some bloodlines like that is they sort of understand the game and sort of the grueling nature of it and sometimes can be low energy, which if you're a super stud player and you're low energy, uh, or super athletic, then you're, you know, uh, look like a big leaguer is what they say. Uh-huh. Much like if you're an asshole and, and you're Josh Beckett, people call you like a ballsy stud. Uh-huh. Whereas if you're, if you're like that and you're like a fringy guy that might make the big leagues, you're an asshole. Uh, so he was low energy and if you don't see him hitting that well, it's like, oh, this guy doesn't want to be here. It's a bad makeup guy. The Marlins gave up on him right after they got him. Uh, and all that sort of thing. And then if you see him when he's hitting, apparently he hit a home run out to center field off of Brandon Finnegan this year, which one scout told me he saw. The Brandon Finnegan. Yeah, that guy. A uh, left-handed, a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, the guy that some people might put a 45 on his raw power if they don't see him kind of lean into it. Hit a ball like 430 feet to center field off a guy throwing 96 from the left side. So you're like, oh, it's in there. He just doesn't want to do it. Uh, but like I said, some scouts are saying, all right, if there's a, a mess of guys on my list or on the Astros list that are all roughly 50, maybe a soft 50, maybe a strong 50, and as like an OFP future value kind of thing, but this guy is a low-energy guy that one team took in the top 10 and immediately gave up on that I didn't see well, that's a low-energy guy, that there's some whispers about makeup with no real substantiation, but sometimes you don't need that to be right, or sometimes it's kind of garbage. Uh, I don't want to bet on that guy. I'd rather bet on another guy that I know has maybe less tools, but you know, seems like a better bet to reach his upside, which isn't the wrong way to evaluate this, but I think the Astros and other teams disagree about some of the tools, but mostly about the sort of playability of the tools and the makeup and the peripheral stuff. How is he different from um, Garen Cicchini? Uh, and I, I, then maybe that, that's, I mean, maybe there might be like a thousand other guys who are more similar to him, but the way you're explaining. Well, that's actually it, a good one, because I'm doing the Red Sox now, so I've, I've talked about him. Okay. Uh, which is preview for the Red Sox list. Chikini's moved down the list and is basically big league ready and had the season everyone thought he would have this year because they have high upside guys that jumped in front of him, basically. Because he's the same kind of guy where it's like, he's a 50, maybe a 45 for some people. If you love him, maybe you think he's a 55, but that's very few people. And it's an above average to plus bat that can probably play third, but maybe not. Not a huge runner, not a huge power guy, kind of a line drive swing. Not a kind of guy that probably starts for a championship Red Sox team. Uh, people for both of these guys have mentioned sort of like Bill Miller and Scott Brocious and, you know, guys, Carney Lansford, like those guys are all mentioned. One guy said Matt Carpenter as sort of like a good example. So, th- like, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. Joe so you're Mano. saying he's going to hit home runs off Clayton Kershaw. That's the, that's your prediction. That's what we're saying. If he was fat, <laughs> he could be Matt Adams. Uh, but that's the kind of guy they're talking about. And so when you have a guy that's sort of at that level where, you know, if a scout really wants to trade for him and loves the makeup or whatever, you put a 55 on him. And if a scout doesn't have a good feeling, and, again, this is based off of seeing him for five games and talking to one, maybe two people that have some sort of insight on him as, like, a mental sort of makeup kind of thing, you put a 45 on him. And and then somebody like me puts a 50 on him. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, uh, listen, I did not know this was a thing. I happened to, to see this uh, while inspecting uh, Gear and Chikini's uh, Fangraphs page. He stole 51 bases in 2012. Yes, and that... he's not. And he did not approximate that at all this year. And he is a fringe runner with outstanding instincts. Okay. Uh, one of their guys told me 40 runner with 70 instincts, and that was a Red Sox guy that said that. So it's that's a, that's a, all right. Well, I will I will uh, show my hand immediately. That this is my favorite sort of player. The one um, my favorite the one sort that of scouts hate. Well, not necessarily that, but my favorite sort of player tends to be one who has skills that with, are... With a C. <laughs> no, actually the opposite. Spell it the most boring way possible because it's the skills that are uniquely sit, uniquely um, applicable to baseball, but they would, they would not help him in any other sport, really. So like Garen Cicchini... Stealing 51 bases despite having below average speed, that's that's fantastic to me because it's like something about his understanding of the game is the thing that's allowing him to steal bases as opposed to raw speed, which is the sort of tool that would help him be 
you know, a good football player or maybe a good basketball player or a good soccer player. He just happens to have this weird understanding of the game that's allowing him to excel as opposed to just a God-given or a you just a physical tool. I, basically, it's something that gives me hope that I could have that I could just at age 34 wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm a professional baseball player now. It's probably a little bit of it. Yeah, and that's also like Chikini specifically was, I believe, a late overpay guy for a million dollars. Moran was a guy that some teams, you know, were like, we don't take that guy in the top ten, whereas other teams were almost taking him at one one. Um, that's the kind of guy that people disagree about until he has some career in the big leagues where he plays an average third base and it's 290 with 20 home runs, and everyone's like, well, I guess we missed on that one. Oh, well. But never until that happens do they all agree. When he had like a four-win season, everyone agrees he's a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think teams are, if you look at these sort of draft studies over time, teams are getting better and better at giving the most money bonus-wise to the best players. I think part of it is because of the expanded role of Cape Cod League, Team USA, Northwoods League, and then also all the high school summer showcases where you can see top-end talent with a wood bat face guys throwing 90 for 80 at bats and then almost disregard his spring, basically, because you've already got all the performance you need. You don't need to watch him using a metal bat against a guy throwing 80 miles an hour. You can now pinpoint these sorts of guys earlier because you have more and more reliable performance data mm-hmm. uh, from the summers, uh, which some people say it starts too early and there's 12-year-olds doing it and getting burned out and getting Tommy John and stuff. In other instances, it helps us find Garen Cicchini, who may have ended up going to LSU and going in the first round of the school, but now that area Scott that really likes him is able to have enough data to show a scouting director to pay that guy seven figures out of high school. And one last question about on this train of thought: uh, How do how do both of these guys, Moran and Chikini, I guess, how do they both comp- compare to Sean Burroughs? It's funny you mentioned that. I mentioned the name Sean Burroughs to an Astros person okay. talking about Moran, and he got kind of mad. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Burroughs had less Bur- raw power and had more problems getting to his power, but that is actually the name that will appear in the report saying. You know, Bill Miller and all these guys are sort of like, oh, that's like a solid, like, 50 percentile projection, and then there's probably a good version of that a little bit above that. But Sean Burroughs is the disaster scenario. The scenario. Well, he was, he was a ninth overall pick. Yep. And he was regarded as just a preternatural hitter, if not necessarily, you know, uh, an impact bat in terms of power, uh, you know, as, but it was regarded as having above average batting skills, hit, hit tool. And uh, not he had as a young player. I mean, if a guy because he was a roughly he was a two to three win player as an as as a twenty two and twenty three year old. And if you say that a player is is worth roughly two to three wins at that age, then you say that's great, that's very exciting because he's probably going to get better. Uh, but he he proceeded to be worth uh, less than a win for the entirety of the rest of his career. We call that pulling a Ben Grieve. Oh, Ben Grieve. Mm. Yes, which I I grew up as a Rays fan living in Tampa and got to see both of those guys up close. Right, and well, it's also it's a it's it's similar to Jeremy Hermida too, perhaps. Yeah. Who I think Jeremy Hermida was also. Uh, he had a little more raw power. He was a right fielder, but all of them were sort of uh, left-handed plus bat guys that never did enough to quite unlock everything they could have done. Right. Or somehow they unlocked it at a really young age and then stopped and then closed the door again and locked it even harder. <laughs> yeah, Burrs is also one of those guys where I think we've talked about him before. He wasn't necessarily a bat get knocked out of his hand kind of guy, mm-hmm. but he was a guy that they knew sort of like how a defense in football will just run everybody up to five yards of the line of scrimmage if they know the quarterback can't complete a pass past ten yards. Uh, you knew he wasn't going to hit home run. So you could just throw fastballs down the middle. The worst thing that could happen is a double in the gap. Right. And so then you get super aggressive with him and can come in on his hands and all that sort of thing. And it sort of changes the math of what can be done. Or is you like, so you don't see very many guys that are, again, taking away that sort of shortstop utility guy. You don't see many guys in the big leagues with like 35 or 40 raw power that do anything, which is why the Tony Kemp types are down on my Astros list. Mm-hmm. Because if you eliminate the home run penalty, you can do all kinds of different stuff you wouldn't normally do to a guy. Right, right, right. Now, we mentioned you. We mentioned the, this uh, idea of low energy. You talked about it with Colin Moran. That's also that's also the case with uh, 
um, and or low energy, how it might be the result of having um, a, you know a, a sort of a pedigree, a baseball pedigree in your family, because yeah. both both Burroughs and Grieve had baseball pedigree, serious baseball pedigree. Yes. And I wonder if if has it ever been has anyone ever postulated that perhaps the reason that they did not maybe go further than than they otherwise possibly could have is because of that? No, I don't think anyone thinks it's a negative that you get basically exposed to pro ball at a young age and early in your sort of serious baseball career, you understand that there's going to be a lot of failure and there's like a really tough grind and it's a lot of sort of mental strength and so you don't let stuff bother you and don't react to things as much and probably get it like sort of beat into you at a young age when you're watching your dad play and you're like 10 that he, uh, you know, isn't doesn't seem like he's running around with his with his hair on fire like Dustin Pedroia. Right. Um, that sort of thing is looked at as a positive because in general it might be low energy and it might turn some people off sometimes, but it helps you deal with failing seventy percent of the time at the plate in a best case scenario. And some guys have trouble with that. And maybe that's like a, a false dichotomy just because it's it's being decided on by guys who are scouts who were probably pro players at one point, and so they want to think that the sort of pro demeanor and my son and things like that are positives. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's necessarily a way to measure it, but yeah, it's not seen as a negative unless it appears to be affecting your game. And there are examples of a guy with low energy, not great body language, and then something bad happens at the plate or gets in an argument with a, with a teammate and then botches two ground balls in a row and it like appears to be affecting his play. That's when that low energy turns into bad makeup, and usually it doesn't cross that line until something like that happens. It's more concrete. I uh, partially, only partially related to this, but perhaps relevant. Um, the I will be posting a podcast to, tonight. We record these on Thursdays for Friday release. I'll be podcasting, uh, uh, publishing a podcast tonight. It's a, an interview with Jeff Natale. Do you remember this name, Jeff Natale? Sounds familiar. He was the 2006 Offensive Minor League Player of the Year for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, he posted an on-base percentage of 430 for his career in the minor leagues. That'll and, play. Yeah, that'll play. Well, it, it never did play, it turns out. Um, that won't play. It didn't. No, it didn't play. Um, he uh, because and well, this is a weird thing, right? Like he had he went to Trinity College, which is not a baseball powerhouse. I believe that's D three, isn't it? Uh, it is D three, yeah. I mean, a good D three team, at least when he was there. But um, anyone he, you ask that went to a D three says, "Oh, it was a good D three, though." <laughs> well, you have you have to say it right because I yeah. mean, because there are a lot of D threes that are. I mean, none of them are baseball powerhouses. But. I went to a D three. We almost got relegated. <laughs> you never <hear> that. <laughs> um, but it was interesting talking with him because he had never expected when he went to college to get drafted. And I don't know if you've seen a player like this before. Like, so he got a you know a four year education at a good liberal arts college, and he also that's never, an oxymoron. <laughs> and he also never um, he never expected to be a baseball player. He actually went to college even more for hockey than he did baseball. But he was drafted after college, and then he proceeded to be one of the best hitters at every minor league level at which he played. But he always viewed it as just like a, as just like a caprice, as a as a thing that wasn't real, and so he I think he got by his own admission he got kind of it kind of you know after a while he just was less excited about it and then he was more interested in just uh, becoming an adult and getting a job and now he's actually an admissions officer at the school that accidentally accepted and graduated both me and Eno Saris. Oh man! So yeah. he's going to try to close those loopholes? Yes, yeah, yeah. They're a lot. They're a lot stricter about that now. Um, but I'm curious if you've ever come across anything like that, where guys who it's because you know, like you know, there as he notes, there there are many players who don't have a, a, a college degree to fall back on, who don't necessarily have professional interests um, or contacts to fall back on. Which could make them more desperate, which might make them ultimately better candidates to play in the major leagues. Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, scouts always love, especially in high school, the multi-sport athlete who hasn't played baseball that much, mm-hmm. because that piece of information, like the limited reps, allows you to project stuff that you aren't seeing. 
which obviously with high schoolers you have to project a lot. And so when you're give, basically given permission to project even more, you, it's a, you, it allows you to get excited about a guy. And scouts especially like when the multi-sport guy plays a contact sport, which is usually football, uh, but often in the Northeast can be hockey. Uh, apparently, I believe Tom Glavin was drafted in hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, maybe the Kings. I want to say the Bruins, but I'm not sure. You can say the Bruins. You can say the Bruins. <laughs> yes. Uh, You're, are you looking it up? Are you looking it up? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see what my Wikipedia says relative to yours. Well, you think in Florida everything's different? Hmm. He was drafted by the Kings. He's right. dra- oh, oh, what's that say one more time? Hold on. Let me let me check something because I, I remember him being drafted by the Bruins because I think I saw a picture of him wearing a Bruins sweater. But Yeah, he probably I'm just wears it because he's from the Boston area. Okay, then that makes sense. I didn't know he was from Boston. He was actually drafted ahead of ahead of Brett Hull and Luke Robitaille. Yeah, but those guys aren't any good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the – especially interesting in Glavin's case that he – wasn't necessarily a huge sort of stuff guy. He was, you know, especially late in his career, like a feel guy. Mm-hmm. It's funny that that guy is that that guy also is the oh he's so incredibly athletic and talented that he could be a professional in hockey. And you'd expect that to be like the Homer Bailey, like just like oozing with talent and is trying to harness it kind of guy. Right. But they're like you were saying sometimes there's sort of baseball specific skills that appear to be baseball specific, but may also be specific to other sports in in a. In a specific way, um, but like sort of, like I, when we talk about sort of uh, traditional athleticism and baseball athleticism, sometimes baseball athleticism applies to other sports when it comes to sort of uh, hand and forearm strength and you know coordination and small quick movements and things like that. Um, but yeah, the uh, the contact sport background is a huge thing, especially for high school players. And I think that the that we, when scouts always talk about like the mentality, especially of like. Uh, um, like there was a guy that the Phillies drafted in the third round out of uh, the Tampa area named Cord Sandberg that was a football guy, and he was a sort of Tim Tebow-like option quarterback for the number one football team in the country, and the Phillies are known for taking athletes, and they just like loved this because they were like, he hasn't played a lot of baseball, he's only going to get better, he's got like a hard-nosed mentality, he's not scared of anything, he's got, you know, like he's going to be strong mentally, we know, uh, he's used to succeeding, like like all those sort of intangible things that you hear pers- or uh, post uh, someone's huge big league success is like, oh, well, he was X, Y, and Z, and you're like, did that really have something to do with it? Whether it did or didn't, it's good to have those things in place. And when that also comes along with allowing you to dream even more, uh, scouts can you know can get caught out on their out on their skis on those sometimes. But yeah, but can he hit? Can he hit? Well, he's gotten better. He, I didn't think he could hit that well, and then he, I saw him in instructs, and he looks better now. What's so. his name? Cord what? Cord Sandberg. Oh, yeah, look at that. It comes right up. It's right there on the Internet for you. Oh, you saw him in instructs? You're just hanging out at instructs? <laughs> me, and, me and my instructs buddies. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shooting good. our radar guns all over the place, swapping stopwatches like it's nothing. <laughs> no, wait, did you uh, – you want to give one of your stories in? We're over – we're almost to an hour at this point. You want to do one Okay, of your well, stories? there's one that's especially timely. Uh, when I worked for the Orioles, I was there the season when uh, when Buck Walter came in. Okay. And so I was kind of assigned to him as like his – you know, every morning Kylie brings down the, the minor league, you know, stat packs and reports and all that kind of stuff. So I got a lot of FaceTime with him, but the, my first experience with him – was uh, my office uh, was sort of out in the hallway, not a cubicle, but sort of like that, outside of sort of the VP of scouting's office. And so Buck had just been hired and was coming in for meetings with all of the office people to sort of, you know, get caught up on everything. And so he was coming in and out of this guy's office right next to my door, and he would kind of walk over and be like, oh, you're, you're my guy, right? I'm like, yeah. And so he'd ask me little stuff like, you know, where's the bathroom and, you know, where can I do this and where do I go to get this form filled out and stuff like that. Um, and so he goes into this office, has like a super long, like four hour meeting. He started before he even got there. I think it was like seven in the morning when they started and he comes out around noon and I'm sitting there and he goes, Hey, uh, just finished the meeting. Uh, I'm about to go back in there for another one. I'm going to be in there all day. Do you have any food? Like something I could grab real quick. I don't have time to go grab a sandwich and I don't want to make you go get me something. And I am actually notorious for always having a bag of trail mix with me. I make, I make my own. Mm-hmm. I get this giant bag and carry it with me. And so I, of course, have my trail mix sitting there on the desk. And he's like, oh, is that yours? And I go, yeah. He's like, is it good? I was like, yeah, I kind of make it myself. And he was like, oh, okay. And so he dips his hand in, takes a huge handful, goes, this is pretty good. He's like, you have a, like a, something like a cup. I could pour some in so I could eat it during the meeting. I go, yeah. So I pour him a little cup and, uh, 
<laughs> and then and then he dips his hand in and grabs another handful of it. So he's like, dip his hand in like five times already. Yeah. And he's like, you, you know, sorry about that. I was like, ah, no problem. And uh, and then he turns to go walk in the office and looks at me and goes, oh, I probably should have mentioned, uh, just a minute ago I went to the bathroom, I didn't wash my hands. <laughs> then he ducks <laughs> into the office and closes the door. <laughs> oh, look at that. Buck Showalter. Yep, there he is. Hmm. And there's there's other Buck stories, but that was the best one. Uh, he does seem to be an amusing personality. Yes, he's uh, he has a certain reputation, and he has like a certain demeanor that both as tend pooping to... up for pooping on his hands. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it may have just been a number one. I didn't <laughs> confirm. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah. But like, he's known for being like not controlling, but like wanting to have input in every level. Like one of those sort of Joe Torre, Mike Sosha kind of guys, mm-hmm. and being sort of a a serious sort of deliberate analytical decision maker and things like that. And so people will kind of shorthand that into, oh, he's kind of overbearing and controlling and whatever. And when, you know, when things end in like Texas, people say stuff like that about him. Uh, but he's, as you can see now in the postseason, like surprisingly open-minded and, uh, I don't know, you, I guess the, what you would expect that guy to be as sort of the, the old hard ass that nobody wants to deal with kind of guy. That's kind of what I was expecting, and it wasn't really like that at all, which I think if all you had is a bunch of still photos of what he looked like in the dugout, you would think that too, and think that he manages like Matt Williams. And then you watch the game and you're like, oh no, he's not that guy. Like he's, he's, he's different than that. He just may look like that guy physically. And, you know, it's sort of the tone when he has, uh, you know, sort of a Bill Belichick like press conference. You're like, oh, he's that guy, but yeah, he's not actually that guy, which was a a nice surprise for someone that I had to deal with on a daily basis for that season. Although it should be noted, uh, Bill Belichick's pretty good. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think relative to NFL coaches, is pretty open minded too. Oh yeah, no, he is. Uh, yeah, I was I was mixing sort of close minded old school baseball manager and brusque with the media guy oh, as yeah. as a sort of one composite type, type yeah. of person that uh, people don't like and. He, he may be some of those things, but I, I think he, in general he steers clear of the worst versions of that. Yeah. Ultimately, there's not really a lot of value added for managers to be great with the media, right? I no. mean, it doesn't it doesn't lead to wins. Directly. It might give him an extra three months before they call for his job when they normally would have, but that's right. about it. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. It's like more of a question for him of like uh, not being harassed as often. But it's certainly like I mean, in the case of Belichick, being you know being short of the media hasn't really affected his job security that much, especially on the kind of the winning. And the, yeah, and the funny thing is, I saw something I've seen it a couple times. But I saw it recently that somebody asked like a super involved X's and O's question to Belichick at a press conference, and the transcript of the answer was like. 18 sentences long of him describing like all of the stuff that no one in that room understood. Right. And that I'm, I know, I'm a pretty big football fan and I didn't understand half of what he was talking about. And it was like, oh, it's not that he hates the media. He just thinks they ask dumb questions, which is definitely correct. Yeah. Well, that's true. Well, I remember, I just remember being like, this is my first exposure really. It was uh, maybe two years ago. It was like the first time I had gone to a major league game with uh, my BBWA pass. And um, I went, and there was uh, Alfredo, uh, the right-handed pitcher who had pitched in Japan. Uh, it was had just made that day his Sevis. Uh, no, 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 not a Sevis. This is this is only last year, I guess. Um, I I'll think of it in a second. Simone. No, it's not him. It may not even be Alfredo. He he played. You calm down. Fed- we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get to it in a second. Shut up. Shut your face. The. Uh, no, and then um, it, 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 uh, this is not uh, you know, this is not to say that uh, all all uh, beat reporters are, are difficult. But one guy came up to him and was like, um, "How does that win feel? How does that win feel after all of the difficulties with the Brewers bullpen last year?" And this was a pitcher who the previous year had been playing in Tokyo, and he was like, uh, "It's I guess it's good." Good? Is that the answer? Yeah. Figaro is the Alfredo Figaro. I believe it's pronounced Figaro. Fi, yeah, that's exactly you nailed it. Yeah, and so he was like uh, good, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was like English wasn't super strong, and so he answered it politely or whatever. But I just a curious question to uh, you know, and and that's I think it's representative sometimes of the questions that are asked. 
It reminds me when Jeff Francis, the former Rockies pitcher, was in the Futures game. One of the sideline reporters was like, "Oh, that was a great inning. He struck out the side. What is it like being a you know 22 year old in this game?" He's like, oh, "I'm 19." <laughs> <laughs> and, like you obviously could have let that go, but I think he, he just thought it would be funny to like mess with this guy. Yeah. yeah. I of course, the guy was flustered for the rest of the interview. <laughs> I also picture Jeff figure uh, Jeff Francis as being like if if any player were definitely on the autism spectrum. Like he would not, it would not shock me if he were the type. He seems the, like the, the uh, opinions of Carson Stoolley are not necessarily the opinions of Fangraphs or Kylie <laughs> McDaniel. No, no, and well, it's also it's not necessarily a bad thing to be on the spectrum, but he just seems, uh, yeah, just he just seems like yeah, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm pitching right now. Later, I won't be pitching. That's the end of the story. <laughs> That'd be a great name for an autobiography. What? I'm pitching right now, and later I won't be pitching. Later I won't be pitching. Yeah, well. That should be the uh, autobiography of a very major league pitcher because later they won't be pitching. Ooh. Yeah. It's ominous. It is ominous. All right. Hey, listen. Literally an hour right now. No, 59 minutes. Well, let's uh, say I'm, I'm looking at it. It says 59 minutes. It's a baker's hour. That's what they call a baker's hour. Oh, it's a banker's hour. A banker's hour, maybe, yeah. Uh, okay. You're done. You're done, Kylie. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pocket the other story for next week. Yeah, do it for next week. We'll do it next week. It's about Roger Clemens. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, this is great. I uh, I appreciate your to- uh, your tolerance and your patience uh, for me asking uh, simple-minded questions. Uh, but th- uh, this was really great for me. It was very interesting. You're welcome. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to say. Yeah, it's fine. You're welcome. Yep. Yeah, I was uh, I was saying thank you, and you say you're welcome. That's how it works. Yep, there you go. That's yeah. how it works. That is uh, Kylie McDaniel, uh, the lead prospect writer for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.